The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Hey everybody, it's Des Bishop back on the Hard Shoulder. Uh, I, I have two wonderful men in the studio, Keith Walsh and Niall Breslin. Uh, we're going to talk about men and how they don't find it that easy to talk about their health and their their mental health. Uh, which one of you guys wants to take us away? I mean, listen, we, we, we hear this a lot. Of course, the three of us are in here to talk <laughs> to talk about ourselves. So, uh, yeah, look, I mean, mental health, health. Five testicles between us, by the way. <laughs> Since we're talking about mental health, uh, I am a testicle cancer, or talking about men's health, testicle cancer survivor. How did you find out about your cancer and what did you do? Like, were you good? Were you generally good about your health and looking into like what was I mean, wrong? I was young, you know, I was 24. So yeah. I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't really thinking that, but I had had a friend that had it. But anyway, I felt the lump, but I did ignore it for three months. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, it fits into the mold, I think, of what we're, mm. what we're talking about here. I did ignore the lump. I felt it every day and I just was like hoping it would go away. Uh, and it didn't. And then finally, looking if I bumped into the guy that I knew that had testicular mm. cancer, and I asked him, what did the lump feel like? Thinking he would say something completely different, but it was exactly the same. So that that's when I went and I got it checked out. But that's just my own personal story. But sorry, I interrupted you. No, I think that's the thing. I think we like to ignore things until they just yeah. and hope that they'll go away. And that's a general sort of gist of, I don't know if it's an Irishman thing or a man thing, but uh, like... I do a lot of interviews with people around uh, wellness and mental health and, and, and looking after yourself and everything always comes back to the self, right? So how we view ourselves and uh, it's a thing that I've started, you know, saying like we need to, men need to be better at loving ourselves, you know, so self-love is important, you know, that's how you discover it's it. It's just so funny because <laughs> when I came to Ireland first as an American, people would always take the piss out of me and Americans in general that that was very like American yeah. nonsense yeah. what you just said but but for me as well like people talking about their therapist or you know yeah. self-love or loving yourself I, I would have thought that was just like um, bunkum coming from the states you know from like wealthy uh, TV presenter talking about my therapist said and uh, now I believe it to be true and everything comes back to how you view yourself and how much you love yourself and if you look after yourself first only then can you start looking after the people around you. Only then can you be a good husband if you're good to yourself. Do you know what I mean? It's not like we spent years pointing the finger at other people going, that person is the reason for my life being terrible. And now we're starting to realise, actually, if I just work on myself, I can be a better person and then that person will treat me better and my life might be better, you know? But I think the American idea, it's conditioned. There's a conditioning there through the media. Like, if you look even in the 90s at the Dr. Phil's and the you know, Ricky Lakes and stuff like this. This was just a, a conditioning that was very much pr- uh, promoted by media. But I... Do I you think that, by the way, do you think that was positive? Uh, some of the it... The commodification it of well-being. Yeah, no, I think some of it was absolutely commodified. And I think a lot of it was in, in a way that was... When you look back at it now, you're kind of thinking to yourself, how was that something that existed? But even my own case, like I looked at my dad, right? My dad has had heart problems. His dad has had heart problems. My other grandfather had heart problems. I was like, right, I, I probably should take a little look at this and, and mm. maybe, you know, you know, just because I'm, I'm fit and I train, that's not really how heart to heart works. So I said, right, I'll go and get to my doctor. I said, I had pain in my chest and I went to the doctor and he goes, we're going to have to send you for a cardiac MRI, which is not something you want to hear at 35, 36 years of age. I was like, what do you mean? Like a full, like a real assessment of your heart. Where's that? Why is that pain? Where's that pain coming from? <laughs> I didn't get the cardiac MRI. 
and it, like it took about three months to get to get into it and it's a pretty difficult like you're in there for I think 45 minutes oh like, in the hole yeah in, but in, it's 45 minutes and then they play Rod Stewart and Horrible. you know yeah. Yeah. they make it worse <laughs> and it's really loud and then I came out and I was like so nervous and the, the girl goes you have the heart of a 12 year old I was like it's really small <laughs> no it's, well, he- it's healthy I was like okay cool and like but like, the thing about it is it took me three months to with, with chest pain with pretty serious chest pain to go to a doctor and I, I, I just don't know what that where that came from in myself what, why was I so pig headed and stubborn because I'll tell you why I was terrified it was pure fear to go to be told that there's something wrong that scared the crap out of me at 35, 36 years of age but I've changed utterly how I view my health now because I, I get medicals, you know, every eight months I go get my medical, my bloods, just to make sure because my GP is like, listen, most of what could be wrong with you, we can catch if you're if you're staying on top of things. And that changed everything for me. But like, as I said, like getting a cardiac MRI at 35 is not something I thought. Yeah, I'd but a lot of, there, there is, there's still a lot of men that don't like doing regular checkups. Mm. You know, now, I just want to point out that I thought I was having a heart attack last year. I actually called an ambulance because I, you know, I was like, I'm probably not having a heart attack, but I don't want to be the idiot that didn't call the ambulance. I'd rather be the idiot that the guy in the ambulance is going, you have no need to call us. But I actually literally needed to fart. Like, so I, 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 I'm We've literally in an there. ambulance and they were like, yeah, that's just indigestion. Did you fart in the ambulance? I, I didn't like fart in the ambulance, but they, they checked me straight away and they were like, you're, 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 you're grand, but yeah. we'll take you in. Now in the States, it's like annoying because then you have to deal with the cost of being in the hospital. But uh, uh, on a lighter note, they did the, the guy in the ambulance literally said to me, we would rather, when it comes to chest pain, people make the stupidest mistake of calling mm. an ambulance because they literally needed to fart than to wait and then us come and like you're dead. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. you just don't know. Yeah, but I, I think there's there's something we got to talk about here. Like, you know, we're now in the kind of prostate uh, phase of our lives where you go into your GP and he's like, and you're like, right. <laughs> it's like the last time I went from a medical, like, I had the pants down. He's like, oh, no, no, no. That's gone. That. They don't do that <laughs> anymore. That it, like, like, to my great disappointment. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I've been avoiding <laughs> this. What? Yeah, yeah that, like, that, that test is over. You yeah. know, I, I went Are to... you really at the prostate phase? Well, yeah, I'm I thought 42. I'm nearly, at, you're 42. Yeah. yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm two years into my prostate phase. And, and the thing about it is, it's like, it's, it is, you know, you, you're, it's, the first one I got was definitely maybe maybe my doctor hadn't got to that. Yeah, no, it's pretty technology. recent that they changed it to, to like a blood test. You know, <laughs> there's definitely doctors who aren't telling people they've changed. Okay, yeah, well, I definitely <laughs> it's a rite of passage. <laughs> you know, but I do think when it comes to to, to even in, in our own case, like we talk you know, in terms of mental health, it's the same approach. The, the idea of mental health for me is is a lot of what men are experiencing now has been pathologicalized. We've turned it into something. And if you look at the pandemic, if you look at everything we've gone through, all of us, maybe the way we're all feeling right now is probably quite warranted and quite a healthy response to the absolute mess mm. of the last three or four years. And straight away, we need to put a label on it. We need to put some kind of idea that there's something fundamentally broken in you. Rather than, you know, maybe I actually found that really overwhelming and rinsing and tiring and, and exhausting, like I did. Like I even found it immensely difficult and I'm still finding it difficult to socialise. And I, since I, the pandemic, yeah, really, just I lived at home with my parents for two years, like I cocooned them, and I, I, I actually find it weird mm. socialising. And I, I got angry at myself about. It. I was like, well, of course, it's you can't just keep turning things on and off like that. So there's a certain element of this I think revolves around 
what is quite normal to feel that way. It's not something we should pathologicalize all the time. We have a thing as well that if we, if, it's like as if in Ireland we believe if we talk about it too much, it becomes a reality. So mm. it's like, you know, when we start talking about anxiety and, you, you know, you get a, another generation saying, oh, sure, everyone's anxiety now. And, mm. you know, you, people start talking about ADHD or autism. Oh, sure, everyone has it now. You know, the, if you talk about something, it becomes a reality. And I think there's something in that for men as well. I just, I'm just going to ignore it. It will go away. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. And then there's the, 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 the man up thing where like, you like, you know, there might you might feel like there's something wrong with you, but you're going to push through. You're not going to say anything to anybody. You're not going to burden anybody with your problems. You're just going to keep going. And then you get these men who, and then when men get diagnosed with heart problems or whatever, like my father got diagnosed with, he had quadruple bypass at the age of 39. And from yeah. then on, he watched everything yet. So like he gave up everything. He gave up, uh, he didn't really, you know, he wasn't a bad, he wasn't a drinker or a smoker anyway, but then he gave up caffeine, he, he gave up butter, whatever. He, he did everything by the book. He did exactly what the doctors told him. Because a lot of guys, when they find out, they only do it when their wives are looking at him. Then the rest, <laughs> she's not around. That's my exactly. As, 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 as if, you know, if I, if I won't get caught, it won't affect my health. Yeah, I'm only doing it because I'm being told to do it. I'm not doing it for me. I don't yeah. really care about me. But, but he did everything by the book. So he's like a doctor's dream because he's now 80 three or four and he's mm. had like he had a quadruple bypass 50 years ago and he's still gone and his file is about you know about the size of a library but then you get guys who come out of the hospital and have had a quadruple bypass and go straight to the pub and start smoking because of what? I mean they just can't deal with the fact that they nearly died or they could die or they're they're you know they're mortal you know but there's so drives, much the biggest fear like the biggest driver of our behaviour is fear of death that mm. literally is the biggest driver and people don't realise that when you start to break it down it can, it can influence so much of how we behave. And part of that behavior is that we repress or internalize this stuff and pretend it doesn't exist because that's what makes things go away. And we've done that for generations. And it's a baton that we passed on from grandfather to father and those that came before. And we keep doing it. And the, the reality is we're, we're now at a phase where we have a generation who aren't passing on the baton anymore. That's what's happening. And we're actually finding ways to express and talk about these different things, physical and mental health. And I think what we now need the reality is we just don't have the systems to support the people. Yeah. That's where we got to be focusing our attention now. How do we create far more stronger frameworks and structures for people who need support? And that is another fear of, of men that I know is that they go, I don't want to seek help because if there's something wrong, I can't afford to get better. Yeah. Yes. And that's a complete. And in America, you know, I just come back. It's it's the first thing they think of before they get help. And healthcare is a human right. We have to. You, you had Rory on earlier about housing is a human right. There's human rights. You can if people can have their basic needs met, you know, they. but with health, that's such a fear for people. What if I can't work? What if I can't support my family? What if I can't afford my healthcare? Yeah, I also think people have a lot of fear that they'll be overwhelmed by the discovery. Mm. I found that in the early, you know, I'm clean and sober now since 1995, but I found that a lot in the early days of people that were trying to get their lives together, that they would always balk at this sense of self-discovery and maybe looking back on the things that hurt them. And they always would suggest, I can't get into that because I won't be able to deal with it. Yeah, there mm. is that idea if I it's almost like we'll leave that leave that in the past. Let's not talk about that. It leave in the past if I start digging into that that whole thing is you know it, it's just going to make my life worse, but they don't realize that something is never in the past. Yeah. You bring mm. it with you. It's still with you. Yeah, it is, and there's a liberation in letting it go, but it's just hard to believe that it's not going to be It's hard to believe that it's going to actually get better. You know, ultimately, maybe after a few months of like really digging and, and, and looking at yourself, but that but that's the whole thing is like it's a chink in the armor that there might be something wrong with you. And then admitting to that, and then like, where does that end? You know, well, psychology often says avoidance is the root of all disorder. You know, oh. and, and you know we find this need to avoid things that make us uncomfortable. 
and I get it. I did that for years. I think you're the new Dalai yeah. Lama, President. We need a new one. You're, you're, the, you're the new one. There's the a wisdom. Dalai Lama. I, I actually. <laughs> you're the new one. The Mullingar. You're the Dalai next. Lama. You're the reincarnation. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I gotta go. By the way, I hate cutting you off because I could literally talk about this uh, all the time. But I, I have to go. You, uh, Brezzi, you have a gig on uh, April 28th in the Olympia. It's a Where Is My Mind live show. Do you have a show? To play yeah, I do. Yeah, in Greystones, Saturday night. Yeah. In the Whale. In the Whale. Yeah. Great beautiful, theater, man. Beautiful theater. Well, go, go see their shows. And uh, thank you for joining Thanks. us, guys. Cheers, Taz. Thanks, Taz. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.